All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. We're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're ready to start learning. Before we dive into this episode, you know, we got to talk about a few companies that help make this possible and some of the companies that we back personally because we believe in them. Now, first up is HuntWise. There's a lot of mapping software and apps out there, and the best one that we think is is definitely HuntWise. I mean, they've got so many cool features that some of the other ones don't have, especially this HuntCast that we use every single time before we go out in the woods. Our, I mean, our time is precious. we got to know when's the best time to go out. And instead of searching around on all the, the weather sites and checking out all the details, you can go right to the HuntWise app, put it in your location, and you're getting local wind, local predictions based on where your stands actually are, and it helps you actually choose the best stand so you're not wasting any time and you can get right in there and hunt that buck you're after. Go visit HuntWise.com. So James and I have shot different bows from different manufacturers, and we all, every time we shoot them, we always go back to primes the reason is they're just so shootable and we're just so accurate with them they're super stable and they just came out with the new revix 2 4 and 6 is their brand new bow for 2023 hunting season g5prime.com there's been a lot of hype around tree saddles and some of you might be hesitant to even try one these things are awesome if you ever wanted to try one trophy line tree saddles make the best saddles in the industry they're super comfortable they're adjustable and the new Venatic saddle we were able to get our hands on it a couple months ago and it just seriously blew us away so if you want to get into the saddle game go over to trophyline.com you can save yourself 10% use the code TFC10 get into the saddle game it's going to change the way you hunt James and I like to go tromp around on public land and one way we're able to do that is to have good footwear uh, we used to lug around in, in rubber boots and by the end of the day we'd have sore feet and it'd be it'd be a mess but we finally decided to get some good boots and partnered with Lathrop and Sons. These boots are so nice. They fit your foot perfectly. They've got Synergy foot pads that are made to you know, form around your foot. These guys take the time. There's years and years of research and design and how to create the most comfortable boot. Go check out Lathrop and Sons. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. These guys have some of the best glass in the industry. Binoculars, rangefinders, spotter scopes. We love them. We've got it on our rifles. We use our rangefinder all the time. They also make clothing lines every quarter. James and I are practically wearing a piece of Vortex apparel every day. Everything is high quality. They come out with new items usually every quarter. So spring, summer, winter, fall, they've got new lines and new clothing coming out. Check this stuff out. And if you want to save yourself 20%, head over to Vortex.com, head to the apparel page, and save 20% with TFC20. All right, welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. Uh, appreciate everybody taking uh, the week off this past week. Uh, we rolled out a story that didn't go live. We had issues posting, and I know I explained, but it drove me nuts. We had to get the story out there. We love Todd Bumgardner and the training stuff he does. I've been I've been working um, through his uh, kind of training plan for an elk hunt we've got coming up here in a couple of weeks. So love it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. But now we're back uh, to our Getting Right series. Um, and so we've talked about, you know, everything from layering to um, the right boots and, uh, you know, I was thinking through things that might be helpful and, and maybe questions that we get. And I'm like, man, archery stuff, archery prep is is going to be a big one. And, you know, if you're um, following us at all, like that's that's a lot of our deer hunting is is archery hunting. And so what I wanted to do is is bring Nick Betts in. Um, Nick, you've been on the podcast before, you know, we work with Redline, but you know, I figured you have a, a unique perspective and an informed perspective on archery 
um, prep and deer hunting and everything else is like, got to get you guys in. And so what I'm going to do is um, kind of run through some questions that we've come up with for you, Nick. Um, I know uh, by way of introduction, everybody, uh, like I said, um, red line and trophy line. Uh, we love you guys and have been working with, working with you forever. Um, so appreciate you coming on. appreciate you um, being willing to, to share some of your knowledge. Well, thanks for having me again. It's always a blast. So yeah. um, happy to get it. I've enjoyed the series so far. So hopefully we can expand on it and everybody likes what I have to say too. That's right. No, that they, and they better like what you have to say. No, that's <laughs> we'll great. See. Um, So there's two kind of categories when I think of archery prep, it's like, is your gear right? And then are like you right? Like, and, and by you, I mean, like, are you practicing? Are you good to go? Um, so what yep. I'm going to do uh, for this kind of is start with gear. Um, so <laughs> let's just jump right in. You know, I, I'm for far into uh, my, my prep for the season. Again, you know, you, you do a out West hunt, maybe your pronghorn or something and that kind of moves up your preparation date because, you know, you're not starting October one, say if you're in Michigan uh, for whitetail, you got like maybe August or September. And so I've starting to I've been starting to work through my my gear prep and um, checking things and and everything else. So let's start there. People are you know starting to think about the fall. They've been listening to this series, getting excited, and um, maybe they're thinking like, "Is my bow ready?" I mean, it's sat in the garage for all the off season. You know, a lot of that is true, and that's you know I, I feel like that's you might get hated on for that, but that's plenty okay to leave your, your bow aside and, and take care of family things and all the other great things you do in the year. But like, all right, so you, you go grab your, your bow and you, you want to, you're just like, is it ready to go? What, what, you know, Nick, what things should people be checking to make sure maybe that their bow is ready? Like, you know, sure. tuning, broadhead, stuff like that. Go ahead. Obviously. So first I would start with the safety aspect, right? So make sure your limbs are in good standing. There's no cracks. Uh, nothing seems loose. Uh, and then I always check my strings and cables, right? Do they need replaced? Uh, this kind of factors in more of how much you shoot, right? So if that bow sat in the garage all summer, you weren't shooting it every day, every week, you're probably fine as long as it's in good standing. But if you're a guy out that's out there shooting constantly, you probably already know this, but in theory, you should be replacing that string every year. But just yeah. inspect it, make sure, I mean, if it's in the garage, make sure there's no mildew growing on it, right? Because stuff gets in those strings. You, you hunt all year. And, you know, if you overly waxed your strings, it can just let that debris and stuff pile up. So one thing I will do is I'll take uh, a little bit of dental floss and I'll kind of girth it around the string. And I run that in between the servings and stuff to pull off anything extra that's on there. Um, Are you so running I, it down oh, it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'll basically like just tie it around it and then pull it down in between the servings. It's the exposed string itself. Um, because if you're out there and you're hunting and nasty weather if you had your bow on the ground a lot you're crawling through stuff you just might have some debris or gunk let's just say in yeah. that string so i'll clean all that off and that's just basic right before i start doing anything it doesn't take very long but i just typically do that and then i'll re-wax it with some new wax uh, so as long as everything's in good standing there's no safety issues with the bow first thing you're going to do from what i do is i'll go take some shots right see how your arrows are acting do you need to tune anything so paper tuning is always a good idea it's pretty simple to do you shoot through paper, close to a target, see how the hole is. If you get a bullet hole, great. If you don't, left or right, up or down, you got to adjust your rest. And paper tuning it for a while, for me at least, it was very daunting for whatever reason. I was like, oh, I it can't, you know, I got to shoot through this thing. And it's, 
And honestly, it's like the easiest thing. And it's, it's something that not only have I started doing prior to season, but during the season, I had a yeah. bad incident with that last year um, out in Alaska and got out there and my bow had fallen out of tune in travel. Um, or actually during the trip, uh, as I was kind of doing the hunt, um, and man, did that really bite me in the butt. So it's yeah. huge. Easy it's to a do. pretty simple, very easy to do. So obviously the first thing I do is make sure your arrow is level or at least as close to level as you could possibly get it. So I'm kind of trying to focus on things that don't require a press because not everybody has a press and people are maybe are intimidated by them. Yeah. So things you can do at home, adjusting your rest up and down, making sure your arrow is actually level first. And then when you're taking your shots, are things going left to right? So if you shoot long enough, you, you're going to tell as the arrow is flying, something's wrong. Like you can yep. see the tail moving or you can see the arrow pushing up or trying to fall down uh, sooner than it should. Um, sometimes that can have to do with your rest timing and that does require a press in most cases. So um, that's a little bit outside of it. So if you're, if you do your paper tuning and you have some issues, um, then I would yeah. go to a local archery shop if you're not comfortable using a press yourself. But yeah. paper tuning is pretty simple. It's just try to get that hole, that bullet hole through paper. Literally, you could take any kind of paper you want, strap it up in front of you with a target behind it, let an arrow rip. Yep. Now, do that. I do that, which is my field points, obviously, to start. And then once that's good, once I have my paper tuning right, then I'll slap my broadhead on. So you obviously want to have your broadhead hitting with your field points. So unfortunately, if you're shooting a fixed blade, you might lose some fletchings here, but it is what it is. So um, obviously, once I get the, it, that process of adjusting your broadhead is identical to your paper tuning. So you're shooting your field point. If your broadhead isn't hitting with your field point, you're going to have to adjust your rest to put those two together. So say say you're, sh you're out shooting, you uh, throw some arrows down range and your broadheads are hitting right of your your field points what do you what's your what do you do yeah so if you're hitting right of your field points you're going to have to adjust your rest well, you follow the arrow, right yeah you're following here sorry about yeah. that uh, no no yeah, i, I, I say that. it because i always i know what you mean it's like all of a sudden it's like wait what do i do again you know and you have to say yeah, it out loud yeah, yeah. Like, yeah so you're gonna you're moving that over and you don't need to make big movements here rest movements change a lot. Small movements in your rest change a lot. You can sit there and tinker for a half hour and you're going to have everything right in. And honestly, being able to have the confidence to move your rest or move your sight, things like that at your house without somebody that, you know, archery professional there with you showing you how to do it, you just kind of have to do it. Like I kind of want people to be off a little bit and have to do it. Yeah. Um, so once you get your rest adjusted and you get your broadhead tuning in with your field points, then I always shoot at least one broadhead when I'm doing practice, right? So yep. even if I know my broadhead is shooting with my field points, I will still shoot one every time I go out there just okay. so I have confidence in that head. That's just me. I kind of, you know, if you have a, if you use broadheads that do have practice tips, then yep. that's great. Go with that. A lot of them nowadays don't do. So I typically sacrifice one in practice that I yep. use and will end up sharpening before season. Yep. So I always do that. But those simple uh, tuning practices, you can take care of that in the first day or two of you doing preseason. Yeah. After that, it's consistency. And then putting yourself in situations that mimic what you might be doing or might be seeing out in the woods. So we can touch on that as far as the practice point. I know yeah. you got a couple more questions here on gear, but really just getting the paper tuning down and your broadheads hitting with your field points. 
and I, I also mean this for mechanical heads, right? So just because it's mechanical and just because it should fly like a field point, if that, whatever company you're buying your products from, if they have a practice head, buy it, shoot it. Cause it's not identical to a field point. And maybe you're going to sacrifice a mechanical even in that practice as well. But I always, you just have to do it because Worth you, it. you don't, you're putting yourself in a situation where you just really don't know what's going on. So the first time you shoot a mechanical is that the deer of a lifetime and you don't know what's going to happen, man, that scares yeah. me. Cause I'm, well, I'm a guy that if it's going to go wrong, it, it will. will. So I have to vet everything that I'm doing in the woods. Have you found, what's the distance you like to tune your, your broadheads at heads at to, to compare them to um, your field points? Field like points. 20? I actually, I walk it back. So I'll do 20, 30, 40. Okay. So that's typically what I do. And then once I get 20, 30, 40 hitting where I want them, then I'm going to go back as far as I really realistically think I'm going to shoot at whatever animal I'm shooting at. So if it's whitetail, Typically, I'm never taking a shot past 40, but yeah. occasionally there's opportunities and the conditions are right, the clearance is there, I might be able to do it. So I'll shoot 50 and I might just shoot 60 to make myself feel more confident right. when I'm at 20. The more right? accurate it is at 60, it's like then when you're shooting something at 20 yards, they're... Oh, for sure. Exactly. And it's it's more it's more than archery so mental, right? So you, you can yeah. get your gear perfect, but if your head's not right, you just don't know. Like you... you you have to put yourself in awkward situations in practice so that when that awkward situation happens in the woods, you've been there before. So yeah, yeah I've, I've had that even like, I've even had that, like, I wasn't shooting and this was a while back, but like, wasn't shooting with my uh, bino harness on in practice. And mm, it was a yes. new bino harness. And I, you know, after switching back and forth between trad and, and Ray and compound, like I have a different draw cycle than I used to. And it, I was like, all of a sudden I'm out there and I'm like, uh, you know, kind of reaching more than I'm used to because I'm drawing lower than I used to because I just kind of switching back and forth had messed with my form quite a bit. Um, yeah, there's there's all all those things go into it. But yeah, when you're tuning your broadheads, for me, I do 20, 30, 40 at a minimum. Yeah. And then I'm pretty comfortable. And then I push myself farther just for myself. Does that change how your uh, field point flies when you, you're making those adjustment, adjustments? Like, is that like I, messing up? It, it, it'll move your field points a little bit, um, but really what you want is them to, to be together, right? So yeah. then when you're confident not shooting that broadhead in practice, you know that it's going to hit where the field point is, yeah. right? So if you move anything, obviously the field head, the field point is going to be moving as well. Yeah. But it's okay. not going to move as drastic as those broadheads, that's for sure. That's helpful. So, I mean, that's that's a great piece of maintenance. What other like reg, regular maintenance things are you doing um, to your bow aside from, from that? I Actually, obviously, I will say one thing is the string. Uh, you know, you mentioned if you shoot a lot, one other, I, I meant to say this earlier, I have found my string get eaten up every year because I'm brush busting. And like, I didn't yeah. know it, but like all of a sudden I look at my string and it's like the, the briars and stuff are just eating up my string. And it's like actually kind of unsettling. Like I've been just walking around clearing brush with my bow. Yep. Probably should get a cover for it at some point. But, <laughs> uh, but that's another way that like, you might even not shoot a lot, but if you're you know, you're kind of brush busting and getting in fixed yeah, stuff. This like is, it's going to eat it up. Inspecting your equipment. It doesn't matter if it's your bow, it's your climbing gear, it's your gun and gun suit, all of it. Just always inspect your gear because you don't want that thing to go wrong out in the woods. So yeah, making sure your, your strings are taken care of. There's no right or wrong on, you know, this many shots means a new string. 
Yeah. Um, but it's just making sure it looks good. Like I said, if you shoot every day or every week, you're probably going to want to get a new string because they stretch over time yeah. and it changes how your bow shoots. But if you're doing, you know, let's say a typical archery hunter who shoots a little bit before season and then through season, you know, after February, they're finishing watching sports, you know, they're hanging out with the family, this and that. And then when July 4th is done, they put down the beer and the hot dogs and they're like, okay, now it's whitetail again. You might not need to replace it every year. It just depends on you, yep. right? Yep. Um, outside of that, I just try to make every make sure everything is looking good. Like I said, all my fasteners are looking good. Uh, nothing's loose, nothing's cracked. Um, if you have a buddy there, making sure your cams aren't wonky when you're full draw. Uh, again, I'm trying to point at things that aren't uh, bow press specific. Yeah, yep. uh, Things guys can, anybody can do, even if you have an apartment, you don't got any space for any of this stuff, you know, you can go out to a range and kind of do some of these things. Yeah. Um, but it's really more common sense. Like people know when something's wrong. Like if you take a look at it and there's a crack in your limb and you're like, ah, go to an archery shop, please get something. Yeah. Fixed, right. Just so be just, careful. Just look at your gear. Uh, and then one thing too, if you're brush busting, make sure you check out your, your pins and everything that's yeah. inside your site. People don't think about that. They're always worried about their string. Cause that's the scary part. What happens if the string goes right. But you can beat up your site pretty well too. If you're pushing through some brush, and you, you knock a pin out. So make sure your fibers aren't trying to pull out of the pin housing, anything like that. Yeah. Um, that's a lot less common, but just checking those things out to start, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, it's just a good thing to do. And then yeah. obviously just shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, you know, as far as gear that I'll take with me to make sure I'm good to go in the field, uh, like I said earlier, if it, if it can go wrong for me, it will. <laughs> so I always have an extra release. Um, yep. so I would also make sure you shoot with your spare release, just having a release, even if it's the same brand, the same model shoot with that thing. Cause there's adjustments everywhere. Make sure they're shooting identical, or at least you're comfortable with how that spare release shoots. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have a steeper spare release just because I'm not going to put an expensive release in my bag that never does anything, Yeah. but I still make sure to shoot with it and have myself be comfortable with that. Um, yeah, I love that. The, the spare release. I've talked about it on this podcast, like have one, like I had it last year and I was, I even knew I've learned this lesson too many times to keep doing it. But like, I, um, again, if it can be the, what you use great or have it something close by, like I shoot the, um, like the spot hog one, uh, the finger mm -hmm. release and my, uh, other one is like a true shot but it's very similar style, but it's just, I don't like it quite as much. You know, I've had it yeah. over the years. And so it's like, at least I'm comfortable with it. I've spent a couple of seasons. I shot a nice buck with my backup one last year, even. Um, but I, uh, but again, let's like have that, that one little bit of gear in your stuff. It's going to save you like, like a serious heartache, you know? Yeah. And at least have it in the truck, right? You know, I keep yeah. it in my bag, but at least have it in the truck. Yeah. Um, Cause it's the last thing you want is to get to your spot and then, Boom. Especially the guys that aren't shooting thing uh, releases that are attached to them. So that's yeah. part of the reason why I still shoot an index. Release. Same. Yep. Same. Um, be, and then you can get wrist straps for all the other things, but it just ends up flopping around too much for me. So I still shoot an index. It is attached to my wrist. It's not going anywhere. I'm good there. And for me, I kind of just prefer that release I do, over yeah. anything else. Um, I, I have way worse target i punch way worse with a thumb release than i do mm -hmm. and i have worse time with target panic actually than i do with uh, my 
index figure release, which maybe isn't typical to everybody, but uh, definitely I something well. I know is noticed. Okay, good to yeah. know. I'm not so the only it, one. No, no, I, I've I'm much better with a trigger release in archery than I am actually with a trigger on a rifle. I just have more comfortable. Yep. I'm more once I'm at full draw on, on it with a with my bow with a with a index release, I'm pretty good. Uh, back tension, thumb releases, things like that. I just for some reason the way I am, it just it it isn't comfortable for me. So yeah. try all those things too. If you're just getting into bow hunting, or um, yes, you know you want to try like don't force yourself to use a release that might seem I don't know, for lack of better words, cooler to use. Yeah. Um, try all those things. If you got buddies that have different releases, put them on your hand, put them on the bow and try it. Um, but so at minimum, gear that I have with me is the release itself, Allen keys to adjust anything out in the field uh, yeah. and D-loop string. So make sure if you're, you're shooting a compound bow, be able to put a D-loop on your I can't, I can't, I can't tie it. I I'm just going to admit it right now. I'm not too proud. I've seen Jared tie him. I can't, I've, I'm sure I could, I just don't know how to yet. So I'm like, that's something I got to do differently. Well, here's the thing. You'll figure it out if it pops off in the woods. So, (laughs) (laughs) so have some of that around, watch the, the good thing about the world we live in now is there's a plethora of videos uh, from a lot of wonderful folks out there that are showing people how to tune their bow, how to paper tune, how to broadhead tune, how to put D loops on. So there's all this information out there, review it and try it. Even if you're just tying a D loop with paracord on a string, like you're not actually putting it on a bow, just tie the knot and just make sure you're comfortable with it because that's really going to ruin the hunt if you're out there and that thing pulls loose and you can't do anything about it. So obviously you're going to need a lighter for that too. Lighter, um, you know, razor blade. And for smoking, you want to be able to smoke while you're out there. Yeah, I mean, mean, according to all the old fellas in Pennsylvania, that's how you get the big bucks to come around. My dad has told me that. I'm like, dad, you can't smoke. He's like, I've shot plenty of deer with a cigarette hanging out. And my uncles have said it. So yeah, it's maybe there's something to that. Yeah, it's just Pennsylvania and Michigan though. No other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, (laughs) Only because of our rich heritage of hunting. Exactly. Well, it's incredibly rich heritage. So those are essential pieces where what again go, I I derailed us. Extra release. Yep. Razor blade, lighter, D-loop material, and Allen keys. Those those few things right there, being able to adjust your sight, adjust your rest, and put a D-loop on in the field, you know, fits in a small, you can put it in a Ziploc bag if you want, right? And just keep it in your vehicle or keep it in your bag. Uh, I typically don't take everything in my bag. It's just the release. Uh, but if I have it in my vehicle, I know I can get to it if something's there. And generally, I'll keep a field point as well in there. Okay. Um, so if I feel something's off on my sight or my rest, um, I can just ground a couple arrows without having to worry about if I don't have a target with me. You know, usually I'll keep a, a small bag target in my truck, but that's not something everybody can do, right? right? So if I don't, I have a field point that I can take a nice soft patch of dirt. I know the yardage, let a few fly, and I feel more comfortable. If I drop my bow or something gets knocked really bad, um, I'm going to want to do that. I, I I like that. I do the same thing. Like it, once October one begins, my my car is essentially I got that duffel, that trophy line duffel bag. Oh yeah, the dry sweet. bag. Yeah. I mean, it keeps. I so saw my clothes there. I've got a target and my bow and like my vinyl harness. You know, and it's like I they got my saddle stuff. So it's like grab my stuff and I can hunt in a moment's notice, like whenever I'm ready, if hunting a hunt strikes up in the middle of nowhere, like I'm ready to go no matter what. Yeah. And you can kind of tell too, sometimes, you know, you're at work and you're, you just kind of feel it 
filled in the air and you're like, I oh, yeah. have to go right now. So yeah, having that stuff with you for me is crucial. Uh, probably annoys my wife more than anything. Cause if we need to do anything with the kids, I got to take it all out and put all the kids know, stuff in, but yeah, it is what it is. Right. Um, but yeah, having that stuff, you know, if you can have a small bag target, great. So you can yeah. check things in the field. Uh, most of the time, you know, we're not going to be that far from home. So you can still do these things in your yard or a local range or something before you yep. go out on a hunt, if you really feel something's wrong, but having those small things in there as a backup, it's great to have. You're not going to need it most of the time, hopefully, but it's there if you do. Yeah. Love it. Well, okay. So we got gear set. I mean, very, uh, there's, uh, we could dive into gear. I mean, just go listen to our old podcast. Forever. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, there's plenty of talk about different types of broadheads and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be doing a little bit of both a fixed and expandable for elk this year. I figure depending on mm -hmm. the, the distance, I'm, it will kind of determine on the, I played that game for a season or two where I was like, okay, I have an expandable that yeah. I might be able to use in certain conditions. And I have the fix that I prefer to use. Uh, I found myself right back at six now. Like I, like you? I said, it, it's just, I want to eliminate the potential of something going wrong. Cause I just have bad luck. It is what it is. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe. Yeah, I might change. <laughs> I, I might change. I've got plenty yourself. of time. I haven't got I, I ran through all my expandables through turkey season. So it's like I need to get mm -hmm. new ones anyways. I've got some fixed and I'll I'm going to mess around with that. But the other the other big part of it is practicing. Right. So yeah. like Nick, like how are you practicing like right now? It's uh, we're recording this. It's October, October. <laughs> Can you imagine? I would. August, August 7. So, you know, this podcast will probably go out next week. You know, what do you do in mid-August to kind of prepare for, for season? Sure. So I have a uh, the benefit of having a decent sized yard where I can put a plethora of 3D targets. So I have them all out there at random distances, um, anywhere from 20 to 55 right now. If I go stand in the yard, I might be able to get 78, 79. Yeah. I'm sorry, in the road. I may or may not have done that a few times, but yeah, of course you got to do what you got to do. I'm shooting at the targets. I have them kind of set at different angles. So some of them are broadside. Some of them are, um, you know, facing away, not completely away, but, you know, just trying to get different angles, things that um, mimic what might happen in the woods. So I'll yeah. do that just standing and then I'll actually get my platform for my tree saddle and I'll put that a couple feet off the ground. So then I yeah. will have, my body in my mobile hunting setup or even a fixed position setup. So this is something I think people don't do very often. Even if you use a ladder stand, take that top section, yeah. slap it on a tree in your yard, stand up or sit, whatever you got to do. And that's where you're shooting from. So a lot of people just shoot standing in their yard. They do that over and over and over again. And they think, okay, I'm confident at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, but you're confident standing on flat ground. That's different. So yeah, it depends on your hunting style, right? So if you're going to ground hunt this year, I'd recommend you shoot standing, kneeling, sitting, sitting. Uh, Crisscross applesauce. I'm telling Chris you. Crisscross applesauce. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you gotta, you gotta shoot in all the potential ways you might have to shoot in the woods. Um, for specifically to tree saddles, you know, me being with trophy line, I, I tell this all the time. When you get a tree saddle, uh, if you have the ability, pick a tree, Take your target and move it 360 degrees around the tree. See how your body wants you to achieve that shot. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to be surprised at a shot directly behind you where you're turned around, you're really leaning out. You don't know how you're going to react, right? So maybe you're going to need to 
put one knee in the tree. Maybe you have the core strength to stand up and do that shot. You don't know until you try it. So put yourself in every possible situation you could potentially be in in the woods. Uh, and that comes down to even, um, so I don't shoot, when I'm in an elevated position, I take my quaver off my bow. Yep, same. Not a lot of people, some people do, um, some people don't, but I still shoot with my quiver on because when I'm walking in, it's on my bow. So I shoot with it off and with it on because I just want to know how it feels. Um, you mentioned your bino harness, obviously having that gear on. Occasionally shooting with your backpack on is a great thing to do. Just putting yourself in those situations. We have the time now. It might look goofy if you have to go to a range and you're standing there with your backpack fully loaded and you have your stuff on, but give it a shot because you're going to feel a lot more confident when you're walking to the spot you thought the deer was going to be and yeah. he walks out in front of you. I feel and like it's less goofy now uh, for people to show. Like if you've ever gone to tack or even oh, like, yeah. a 3D, like I've shown up in like basketball shorts and like a sleeveless shirt or something, you know, like summer mm -hmm. wear. And like guys are looking at me like I'm weird because they're got their full back, their, you know, frame yeah. backpack and everything on. So like you can get way, people are way more, way more into it than they ever have been in my life where it's like they are practicing yeah. with their gear, they've, they're dialed, they're engaged. Like it's the, the modern like whitetail hunter is very different than he was even just like 10 years ago. Very different. And I think, again, that's the benefit, I think, of technology, because you're seeing all these different things. So people are trying to be like, okay, what can I do that's different and kind yeah. of stands out? So it's a little bit of a competition on that, but it's also pushing it in a great way, getting more, getting people to, to do things that are just way more thought out. So yeah. uh, the, one of the other caveats I have that people don't practice very much is different light. So mm. shoot at dawn, shoot at dusk, shoot at that last five minutes of light where so many deer die and maybe turn your light on, on your site. Yeah. If your state allows it, not, I don't know that many people that, that shoot with a light on their site right at dusk. Yeah. To put yourself in those situations because now, like I said, you're going to be more confident once it happens in the woods and that, you know, big 160, 170 walks in front of you, not here in PA, but yeah. it walks in front of you. You'll be confident that, okay, this is the last five minutes. I've made this shot before um the one thing i don't like to do very often just because it's uncomfortable is i'll shoot in the rain yeah so yeah, i'll go out there one. i'll put my gear on and i'll shoot in the rain just because again i want to put myself in the situations i got bad luck so i have to work around that bad luck so shoot in the rain shoot in the wind if you have a windy day oh shoot. yeah it's just ideal how it is yeah like just just to take the opportunity you have now with all the time we have before season put yourself in every different weather condition and then physical condition that you might be in, even if you only do it once or twice, at least you know now your body has a reference, your mind has a reference of that situation when it happens in hunting season. Yeah, love that. I've been, uh, I've got a, and I, I post it a lot, but I've got a an abandoned building that I have access to. It's, it's I've, got me. I've been keeping a watch on you on that. That's pretty cool. What I like about it is that it's very low light in there mm -hmm. and so it's been very good and it like sometimes the light is like right in behind you where it's actually terrible you can't see your pin at all and so it's been like kind of helpful because it just puts you in like kind of crappy spots mm -hmm. uh in terms of how light goes um so that's been and plus i can go inside and it's a 40 yard range and i i have probably have lead poisoning but i feel like that's like 60 year old james problem yeah. you know yeah, what do you that, yeah, I mean, that you know for now you're doing fine for now, I'm good. fine. You're doing fine. 
Yeah, and um, like bro broken light too, you know, um, yeah. you know, light coming through trees that just kind of messes with what you might think the yardage is, all that kind of stuff. Just try to find ways to shoot in that. Not everybody can, but just think of all the things that you might have to put yourself through to actually get the deer down and try to practice that way. Yeah. What do you see people doing wrong when they practice? Oh, geez. Um, well, I think a lot of people kind of overcompensate draw weight. That's the first thing in archery. Um, they don't want to lower their draw weight. Um, so they will up that draw weight and then have horrible form drawing that bow back. Right. Yeah. So that's number one for me, the one that I see at ranges. Um, number two is sometimes guys just shoot for too long. I feel like. Yeah. Agree. Out there, they shoot so long that if they make one bad shot, they have to kind of make up for it and they're shooting and like they're, they're shooting so much they're getting tired. And then now they're shooting worse and worse and worse and worse. And now they've lost their confidence. So trying to make sure you keep your confidence up. Like, so shooting is important, but too much becomes a problem sometimes. Right. Um, so I'll try to take it where I'm like, I know I'm going to make 10 to 12 shots minimum every day. If I go out there and I put three to four shots, directly where I want them, I might call it for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because my confidence is then high and I know I can execute when the time comes. So sometimes over practicing in the wrong situations and the wrong mindset and then not setting yourself up for success in your bow setup is what I see people doing wrong. Yeah, I love that. I um I mean you yeah, I, there's a video I saw somewhere of a guy the, I think a buck walked out or something. He's trying to draw his bow back and he can't. And mm -hmm. you've ever seen it's like he's like, and like well, he lets your it, nerves hit too. And, your nerves you hit. Know, and you're cold. You're sitting there for a while. Mm -hmm. And that's actually that's a great point. So the cold. Obviously, we can't practice cold right now. But people don't really take into factor if you're sitting, if you're doing an all day rut hunt, and you sit and you don't move all day long, and it's freezing cold. When you go to draw that bow back, you are in the worst situation to do it you're excited now and yep. all of your muscles are cold and stiff so the the draw weight that you have like for me i need to be able to put that bow out in front of me and pull back without doing any movement up and down like i want to pull as smooth Instead of one as of those. possibly exactly yeah, precisely which I do. so i want to be able to point that bow at the deer and then draw back without yeah. anything so depends on what that poundage is for you and then i guess back to practice with the draw weight and you hold that bow back for at least a minute and still make an accurate shot. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Like you might be able to pull 70 to 75 pounds, even in that fluid motion, but can you hold it there for one minute and make a lethal shot? Because that might have to happen to you as well. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big one. Like holding it back will happen. Will happen. If yeah. you want, you're, you're going to have to hold it back and like, practice for it it's not a fun way to practice i just i don't no. like it you know i just don't like to do it but that's been a huge huge help um for me and like you said like you see people or it's just like they're the way they practice is they go out they shoot 20 times at 20 yards you know 10 times at, like they, they do 20 30 40 even numbers and it's like well deer are going to come out at 23 yards right mm -hmm. um and so the 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 different um number of arrows or the dis di different distances you pick should be a little funnier too um and just to echo what you said and, and this is something that i've been doing a lot more usually now i shoot one arrow at a time 
I shoot one, grab it, shoot one, grab it. Mm-hmm. I find sometimes I'm fatigued by arrow three or four, like if I'm shooting in a row, but it's more mental for me um, just because I lose focus. Like I, I don't pay attention very well, especially if I'm with people. I'm shooting. Mm-hmm. I'm not really paying attention. My form goes, you know, my, my, my draw arm isn't up. My uh, I'm not square with my, you know, my bow hand or, or whatever. And so it's just like, I'm cutting that out. I'm doing one arrow at a time. Occasionally I'll do maybe two, but it's like, I need to, I at least personally need that extra focus because it's just not normal. And I'm, I'm not naturally a person that can just focus for many shots. I don't think a lot of people are really. I think people are just trying to maybe cram into practice with the time they have, yeah. which is tough. You know, we all, not everybody, but we all, a lot of us have families and responsibilities. Yeah. So we're just trying to shove all that practice into a short period of time and everyone's focusing on, okay, I need to get 30 shots off five days a week to be ready for season. But if you can execute five shots perfectly every day, that's it. I mean, when you're shooting, hopefully we're only taking one shot. Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you can execute those things with high levels of confidence and consistency, then I feel you're fine. And I typically, when I'm shooting different ranges, I start farther. I go far close same the, the, what you said there a lot of people start 20 30 40 so then once they get to 40 their shoulders tired yes they're just like you said they're starting to not pay as much attention and then their confidence is just ruined at 40 yards 50 yards 60 yards so i go completely backwards so if i hit good at 70 i know even if i'm tired when i get to 20 i'm drilling it and yeah. then that's how your confidence in the field is just so much higher. And it also seems way easier when you're shooting at 20 than it does at 60 or 70. Yeah, that, I, I agree. Yeah, that's what I did the same way. Like my, I found like people's like start or like their average shots. Like if you have to go out, shoot 10 arrows, everybody picks 20 yards. It's like, I'm going to go, mm-hmm. you know, at least if you're out East or whatever, but I've changed that. Like I, I'm going to shoot, you know, last summer it was every, like most of my shot was 80 yards. I was doing a caribou mm-hmm. hunt. I knew it was going to be a farther shot. I was like, if I can just get dialed at 80, anything else is easy. Right. And yeah. probably this year I'm, I'm in more of the 40 range where that's like my, that's just my go-to beginning and end range. Um, yeah. Typically, seems to work for me, whatever, you know? Yeah. Typically I'll do 90% of my practice 40 and farther. Yeah. Until yep. unless I'm tuning a broad head or messing with something on my bow where I want to be closer and get things a little bit more precise. Once I have that all set, I am 40 and farther. Because yep. like you said, everything else just feels like a chip shot. You know, the I had a buck I, I got um two years ago and, and he came right into 15 yards. And like it I didn't even have to think. Yep. Do the bow, put it where it was, and that's where it was. And and he was down in 40 yards. And that's what you want. But if you only shoot at 15 to 25, you're, you're just going to think about it more. So put yourself in those bad situations so that when you have a better situation come in front of you, you're fine. Totally um, agree. Totally agree. And it, it it's, and plus it's kind of just, I don't know, it's more fun. Like if you're only shooting 20 yards standing up, yeah, it just, it's just more fun. Like what else can you do? And, and you, honestly, you mix it up. I will say though, uh, for a while in my life, I could only shoot in the basement of a building that offered me about 20 yard shots, but that was all, that was like majority. Right. And what I found as a way to get ready for longer shots, and it helped me immensely during that period of time in my life was 
I would do things like I would hang a string down or I would, you know, I would aim at very, very small. I actually, I spent a long time trying to consistently uh, Robin Hood arrows. I'd throw an arrow in there. <laughs> it was just like something I did to just, again, it's, it's not the same distance, but if you think about it, if you can, if you can consistently shoot a quarter at 20 yards, mm-hmm. when you, you know, extend to 80 yards that obviously your, your group will be bigger, but it's like, what you've already figured out how to do is stay steady, work through your, you know, your pre-shot sequence and all the other stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. then you're, you, when you step out to 80, it maybe feels a little different, but you've, you've locked so much in your way of shooting that when that time comes, like I, I was able to quickly adjust to go a, a long distance, even though I had really only access uh, to a short, pretty short range in the basement of an old building, you know? Yeah. It, again, it, it's all that mental state, you know, people, when they get out farther, um, they're just worried about losing their arrow, right? They're it really worried is. about missing and what they're, what that looks like, especially if there's nobody around and you miss it 70 yards, you certainly feel a lot less bad than if there's somebody there and they watch you miss at yeah, and lose yards. your arrow. It goes, yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah. And so that's what everybody's worried about. So, um, sometimes what I advise to people, and I did this for a while, is I actually shot cheaper arrows like I shot kind of dirt cheap arrows and I did that because I didn't care as much if it hit the ground or I lost it I'm like oh there goes you know 20 30 40 bucks flying away from it uh there there but it was only you know six to ten and I would I'd shoot with those cheap arrows get my distance got my personal confidence higher and then I moved back to my more expensive arrows that I wanted to have with me in the woods yeah. Um, not everybody has that opportunity, but for me, that's what I found. My confidence was dropping at distance. It was worrying about losing the dang arrow. Same. So Same. once I got over that, I was fine. Or, but you, you bring up a good point. Like if you're out and it's like, you know, attack event or 3d and it's like, I'm worried about what that guy I get, you know, get nervous. He's like, that guy's looking at me, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, the Bible says fear of man is a snare. It is a snare. Don't be afraid of what people think. Cause honestly, like, what does that guy have any, you know, that they're, worried guy about or it too. they're worried about, they're thinking about them, not you. And yep. honestly, all that it's going to do is, is, is mix you up and, and set you off in a bad way. And man, that's true for a lot of life. Yeah. Um, and that's, that falls down into even archery season itself, right? Just don't worry about what others are thinking. Cause they're probably not thinking it at all. Yeah, they're not thinking about you 100%. They're thinking about themselves, Yeah, you know. Um, okay, so let's let's end it with this. Um, you know, we're coming up on time here, but we're talking practice. Like, what are some fun ways you like to practice? What's like some of your favorite, like, this is, you know, Ooh. you go out, you grab your ball. I'm like, I'm going to spice this up. This is going to be fun. What's your, what any, do you do any games or anything like that? What do you, I, I gave a good example, right? When, for a while, one thing I loved to do in the basement of a building was try to Robin Hood arrows more than one, like keep it going. Right. And I, I didn't oh, get there. It was tough. Them. Yeah. I wow. wanted to get like one and then another. And like, I could only get the first one pretty irregularly. Like I was always close, you know, you get you shoot fletchings off and stuff, but like mm-hmm. I couldn't consistently hit, but it did help. And it was kind of fun to do. What I've done is like, whenever I, my son is out there with me, I'll let him pick where I shoot. Yep. So I let him say, cool. shoot this. So, um, you know, I have a couple different targets with different shapes on them and he'll pick the shape that I shoot. So I just kind of mix it up. So I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to shoot this circle. Now I'm going to shoot this square. Now I'm going to shoot this. Yep. Um, 
my plan now is to get him. He's really into Pokemon right now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to get him some stickers and I'm just going to have him slap over and he'd say, okay, go shoot uh, Pikachu now or go shoot, you know, <laughs> whoever now. Um, and I'm going to have him at different yardages. So I'm having to change up what I'm shooting with him and it gets him excited, which makes me feel more confident and fun out there. So I'm really just kind of letting him help me with the randomness of my um, practice. That's where my fun is right now. But in the past, yeah, it's been just shooting at smaller and smaller stuff to yep. see if I can hit it consistently. I definitely didn't go as far as to try to ruin other arrows by shooting them with another arrow, but uh, it's interesting. I, I never heard somebody wanting to stack more than one Robin Hood up. It did, It was fun, and it. I just wanted to see if it could happen, because here's what, I had a cousin who was kind of doing similar stuff, and he was like Robin Hood and arrows and like whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell. I never told him I was doing it. And uh, mm-hmm. him and actually Jared, uh, but I'm like, I want to just come out with two arrows, you know, or I guess three <laughs> stacked and be like, see, this boy's like, this is how it's done. But I, I spent all winter doing it, not saying anything because I didn't want him to like tip him off. But it was, like I said, it was actually really, it was just a helpful way to just be consistent and be very, very precise with, with my shoot. Yeah. shoot. I love it. Maybe I'll try it. I'll, I'll yeah, get just, a couple you know, of out there and just slam, see what I can if, do. If you get it, I'm going to be, I'll just say this now, because I, I, I don't want to have any pride stand in the way of me and, and you know, my future success, but like, I'll be very jealous if you did it. Like, you'll have done something that I could not do. If I do it, I will only send the picture to you. <laughs> there, and then I'll post online and, and claim it for myself. <laughs> I'm uh, okay with it. No, it's okay. Uh, well, our, uh, Nick, I mean, we're, we're up on time. Uh, I Like I said, I, I I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, you know, given the work that you do at Redline and, you know, people who listen to this podcast, now we're shooting your sights and your rests and your stabilizers. And we, we love the work you're doing. That's why I figured, I mean, you guys are living this stuff every day. Got to have you on to talk archery. So thank you again, everybody go check him out um, and, um, and Redline and Trophy Line out. And be ready. We've got uh, another pretty cool episode coming out next week on uh, scouting. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you have questions, um, you better hurry up and send us those questions because we're going to be recording soon. And I want to make sure I'm answering everything that, that comes out. So Nick, thanks again. Everybody keep listening. We appreciate y'all. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out, keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd helps everyone cool. out. We'll see you out there.